once thought sucked, but now you realize that they rock. They still suck. Fear and loathing podcast. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. It's October 24th, and we have a new horror movie for spooky season to talk about today. And it is from the year 2000. Oh, my goodness. I am Brian Kluber, and I'm joined by all the hosts with the most. First, I'm joined by that Miami life all over on the southern east coast who might hop a flight soon chelsea how are you i'm good i just don't want to die or blow up so yeah i might not do that (laughs) that's good that's good um also coming in from austin texas the man in the shower dan moran (laughs) i just got it yeah i'm sitting here waiting for you know, death to come up with the most complicated way to kill me. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that took you a second. And then, of course, last but not least, the legend in North Texas, in Denton right now, the the man who somehow can use a kitchen knife to do whatever he wants with, Preston Barta. I don't have anything to say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we are... Uh... We are shit buddies just like Devin Sawa and that other guy in the beginning of this movie. Right, right. Yes, we are. Of course, if you can't tell, we are talking about Final Destination that was released over spring break in the year 2000. We're going to get to that in just a second. But first, we'd like to go to the audience. We'd like to go to our listeners and ask them a, a fun question uh, every episode nowadays. And that question right now was uh, for this week was what's the scariest movie scene? What movie scene in a horror movie or any movie scared you the most? So let's start with Dan. All right, so I'm going to put jump scares to the side because those are, for me, they instantaneously scare me and then I get over them or I laugh. So I'm going to go and say the scene from The Strangers where she's at her sink and the guy kind of just appears in the background because the the framing and the way it's shot is so wonderful. And just him appearing in the background and then just kind of like fading into the shadows. I still think about, because every one of us here and probably every single person listening has had that feeling before, like, am I here alone right now? Or I feel like I'm being watched. It's like that natural creepy reaction. And after seeing that movie, all I think about is some weirdo in a mask like just out of the sight line of me, just like watching me do dishes or like loaded. It's so, it's such a creepy scene that it's just, that's the one that has stuck with me. And even 15 years later, when I get that eerie, you know, tingle on the back of my neck, I will, I will think about. I hope you think that's me in the mask <laughs> watching you. Now it's even creepier. Now I know. I was going to say. You now made it you- so much worse. That's where the shower comment. See, that's where I thought he was going with the shower comment, not commenting on Final Destination. I thought Brian was talking about what he spied on me in. <laughs> it's just a mask. It's nothing else. 
<laughs> That's how I roll. I like it, Dan. I like it. The strangers. Uh, Preston, let's go to you. I had a hard time thinking of just one. I have two, so that seems like a bit of a cheat. Um, but uh, one of them is uh, to kind of go against what Dan was saying with jump scares. I think this is the best jump scare of all time and is pretty well recognized as such. It's the uh, sheer sequence in Exorcist 3 in the hallway because it takes a long time of just a long, long, steady shot of a hallway where you're almost getting kind of bored with it. And then out of the, uh, out of one of the doors pops a nurse with the shears. And uh, but it's kind of a longer jump scare, I would say. I mean, it's pretty fast when she walks across, but compared to like something that's more in your face, it's it's like haunting and a jump scare at the same time, which is the kind of effect that I like. I like those things that Dan's describing something like, you know, uh, in hereditary when uh she gets decapitated but you're following the guy's face on the way home that makes it haunting you think about it it's scary um so i think it does a pretty good job of doing both the other one that kind of does a very similar feeling to me is uh and it's directed by he who shall not be named <laughs> um jeepers creepers uh, the sequence when they toss the bot when you see him in his truck just tossing a body down the chute and it's just this wide shot of panning around where you're kind of like, what the hell's going on? But you know, it's not right. And that's one of the most haunting feelings to me because he gets in the truck and starts chasing them right after. Wow. Bold choice. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, so scary movie moments for me. I think the one that still scares me, that scared me when I was little. Uh, I don't know why. It just, it still freaks me out is the eighties movie by Lombardo Bava demons. It's like uh, the demons in the movie theater. And it's when the hooker um, like transforms in the bathroom and you see your teeth fall out in the blood that traumatized me. And I still think about that every time, every time I see it, I have to like watch like scrubs or Seinfeld to like get that out of my mind because it still scares me so badly. And just that whole movie, just because I feel like the the theater is the safe space and they made the theater not a safe space in that movie. And so just everybody trying to come and get like these three people towards the end of the movie is so terrifying. And then even going a bit further and having it break out into the world was so good. Um, and then if I had to go with a jump scare, I'm going to go very modern with it, with The Haunting of Hill House, the broke neck lady in the car. Good God. Um, <laughs> didn't even see it coming, man. Um, it was uh, was hardcore. That was uh, it was good. I, w- I was going to say, you took one of mine. Um, one of mine was the, was the Nell from the broke neck lady in the car. Cause you realize like she's been seeing that her whole life and her whole life, she's been seeing, see, seeing herself as the broke neck lady. I don't know. It fucked me up really bad. I, I mean, yeah. it, that was a good scene, but it just for jump scare reasons. I, again, I had no idea that was going to happen. Cause sometimes even in the fall of the house of Usher, there's like a pattern and a formula to it. As you like go through every episode and you're like, you're expecting something, you still jump, but that high of Hill house thing, man, that was so good. Uh, I loved it. So Chelsea, um, 
what what are yours and then i know you brought that to the the universe of the internet so i'm gonna go um so i'm gonna cheat like preston and i'm gonna talk about two um but these are two that have already always kind of stayed with me one is um there are two scenes in annihilation um when oscar isaac comes back but he's very it's not him and he's very quiet just the kind of whole thing of him and the like kind of very pet cemetery ish they come back wrong um and the bear scene trying to emulate the voices of the other people on the expedition that scares the absolute shit out of me um and just hereditary as a whole i've never had a panic attack in a movie i had a full-fledged panic attack in that movie when he right after the scene with the sister happened when he just pulls in and it's just it's because it's so grisly but it's so like it's so human to just pull back in and be in shock and like preston said again just yeah it's it's just so like uh and the absolute dread that comes over you when you see them wake up in the house the next day and you're like they're gonna find it in the car they're gonna find so you hear it you don't see it you hear it yeah i'm surprised nobody picked uh i seen from the gate you've been bad like that one's a great one yeah, I almost picked that. One. <laughs> I, I, I'm not anti jump scares. I'm just trying to think of the scary one that sticks with me because my the yeah. one that has scared me the most or made me almost fall on my seat was the, um, the lawnmower and sinister. I was gonna yeah. say the lawnmower tape of what eighty six. Yeah, well, it, that, yeah, that was. I had no idea what was coming. That thing that terrified me. Like when that happened, it's, it made me jump, and then I was like holy shit and it was such a quick cut and then you're like did i see what i think i saw and it was that is a messed up scene so that's actually the number one scene of all time i think from for the core movies um in relation to like resting heart rate rate and then like when when it jumps right up scientifically proven yeah. it's the scariest <laughs> the i was part. so worried i was i was alone Oh, that's good. So you brought it to Twitter, you brought it or or X and Facebook. Um, did you have a good response for this question from our audience? I brought it to Instagram. I would never bring it anything to Facebook. Um, except, except your election theories. <laughs> Dan, Dan knows me too well, and yet not at all. <laughs> um, yeah so i had a lot of really good one i think um i just had one this morning um the scariest scenes and kind of that scare people the diner scene in Mulholland drive oh man i haven't seen that in a while it's a good one who said that or is this anonymous no 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 these are also but that's my friend geo okay. um uh I have another friend that gave me one, two, and three. So three is large March from Pee Wee. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, number two is the closet girl scared to death in the ring. So it's like the Amber Tamblin. That was a that was and, a scary image. And I did not get this from anyone else, but number one is 
Rain Wilson as the mermaid man from House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> uh, that and, was good. Um, but I got a lot of hereditary. I got um, a lot of uh, descent, Blair Witch. Um, our friend, your our friend Matt said the tall man coming through the doorway and it it follows. Oh, Matt Anderig. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and my friend Tara, she put this one in. I had to think about it, and yeah, it is scary. But Judge Doom putting the shoe tune and dip in Who Killed Roger Rabbit. No, oh, yeah, that's a that's a sad scene. I want I want to talk about that it follows scene. Preston and I have talked about that it follows moment where because it's just so nonchalantly, and then it just it's pretty much exactly what they do in The Exorcist Three. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a variation of it. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> it's so good. Any other good ones? Um, every hospital scene and talk to me, when, <laughs> especially in the bathroom. Um, and in opera, the needles. Okay. Anybody say Event Horizon? Anything? No Event Horizon. I did get um, Serpent in Rainbow when he is buried alive. Wes Craven style. All right. I like it. Some good answers, peeps. That's good. I like it. Thank you. Thank you, audience. Uh, those are fun scenes i think we're going to talk a little bit about those scenes today whether they're funny or not um as we talk about final destination the movie that was originally made for an x-files episode <laughs> um but they brought to feature film final destination of course uh it was directed by james wong who worked on x-files for a long time uh he did the boys next door he wrote that then he did final destination he did the one with jet lee he was a producer on willard he came back for final destination three he produced black christmas in 2006 and then dragon ball evolution not to mention he's been a showrunner and executive producer of american horror story for a number of years um as well as X-Files. So, uh, yeah, this is it's interesting because James Wong hasn't directed a lot of movies, but you would think that he would since th the success of Final Destination financially. But this movie starred Devin Sawa, Ali Larder, who you would, you know, uh, recognize in the whipped cream bikini from a certain football movie. And then Tony Todd, of course, uh, Candyman himself, um, this movie is crazy. So, okay, let's start with Dan. Dan, this was in the year 2000. I was 18 years old, 17, 18. Um, but how old were you? Were you at the movie theater at this point? What, uh, when did you first see this? I would have been 15. Yeah, 15 going on 16 when this came out. I know for a fact I saw it in the movie theater because it was all the rage. This was a early MTV uh, standard bearer. I remember like the cast being on like, you know, your TRLs and all your shows and commercials all the time. So I was very excited to see it. And I remember seeing it and thinking that it was so smart and so brilliant. And the way they handled it, like my 15 year old brain was like, what a what a brilliant concept for this movie. And I remember really enjoying it and getting excited for the sequels. Obviously, as I got older and the sequels 
I think kind of dropped off in storytelling quality, if you will. Um, I didn't look back on it as fondly as I thought, but rewatching it last night, I had a lot of fun with it. It's it's a it's a good two thousand movie. It is. It is. It really is. Um, Chelsea, when did you first see Final um, Destination? I was um, when this came out in two thousand. I was thirteen. Um, I saw this when it came out in the theater and like Dan, I thought it was like a cool, amazing method of storytelling. And oh my God, all these people are going to die, but they don't know how and death is reaching out towards them. Um, But hot take, I'm a very big X-Files fan, probably my, my favorite show ever. This would have been better as a monster of the week episode. That's interesting. You say that you're a big X Files best show, even even the last like two or three seasons, because a lot of people would say X Files ended, you know, in season I, four or five. Did I did I say did I say that? No, um, <laughs> it drops off around six seven. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. X Files. Uh, Preston, the, the the young bunch right here. Please tell me you saw this in the theater when you were. I did see it in the theater. I don't. I have no idea who took me though, because I was ten, <laughs> so it had to have been somebody like my aunt or somebody like that that showed me it too early. Um, but I loved it when I was ten um, because uh, there, there's just something, and I'm sure we're going to get more into it. There's just something very scary about like there's no physical embodiment of death here. It's just looming over all the characters and the victims here and it's doing like this rube goldberg type of machine thing where it's like tickling the balls (laughs) like just a lot of foreplay here uh that death is having where you don't know oh my god is it going to be this or is it going to be that uh oh there's set there's just there's a lot of spinning plates here what are they going to do which one's going to crack um so that the fun of that made it very compelling and interesting um and then uh, the the character work, I would say, too, is fairly strong for a 2000s movie, primarily focused on teenagers. Um, I think there's a few issues here and there, but for the most part, I think it sticks to landing pretty well. Right. And so I like how you say it tickles the balls of everything, because in the movie, it's death trying to catch up and uh murder all these people um and you have to find creative ways instead of you know just somebody being hit by a car or something yeah. like that there has to be very creative ways and i really think it uh at least this first movie did that really well um so this final destination cost about 20 million dollars to make and it made over 110 million dollars so i mean it was successful financially people went to see it um and this is again spring it was released in march of 2000 so this is spring break so i wouldn't say tons of college kids or tons of people might be going to see it because they're all partying or something like that um but i think people did get out to see it uh but it has currently a 36 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes for critics um, versus 68 percent for uh, the fan score, the audience score. So I'm trying to figure out why people didn't gravitate to this. Do you think that they might have 
like the critics specifically like the idea of it, but just executed in a very, like Dan said, MTV sort of way where it's just silly. They were expecting maybe something new to horror, which I think it is. Um, but they were just like, this is too dumb and silly for me. Like I'm too highbrow. Do you think that was the case? I, I mean, it's successful it financially, and that's all they really care about. So I think with like the audience, having around 70% of the audience like it, I think it's pretty good for a 90-minute horror movie from the year 2000. The critics are always, every time we do this 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 pod, I feel like the whole, the whole point is the critics just were expecting something else or didn't know what to expect from a movie called Final Destination. <laughs> um, I can't imagine they went into it and were like, you know what, this is going to be very, very highbrow. It's going to make a lot of sense. No, it's got a bunch of good looking young actors who have a super, supernatural thing that's killing them in sometimes hilarious and horrific ways for 90 minutes and then it's over. And um, I don't know what their expectations were, but I feel like if you put a movie in front of me called Final Destination and I watched this trailer, I wouldn't have gone into it expecting anything more than exactly what it delivered. Teenagers getting killed. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like older critics would love that. (laughs) Right? Like, I feel like that's what they would. I don't know what they did not gravitate to. Uh, Chelsea, do you have any? Roger Ebert liked it. Yeah. He gave it three stars? stars? Yeah. Pretty Pretty good. good. Pretty good. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if as the more like, as Dan said, the more that we go on and do different movies, I just feel like in the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of critics had a stick up their ass and just didn't want anything silly or anything fun. And I 100% know what I'm getting when I go into like you said, like I watched this trailer and Final Destination and uh, and I do remember how this was all over MTV and it was just very uh, TRL promotion. Let's bring the cast on. Let's talk about it. And yeah, I, I just I feel like maybe people don't uh, realize or aren't entire, entirely cognizant of what they're getting themselves into. But I feel like that's not an excuse either because... I mean, it's strange to think about because I guess it doesn't matter really what the critic says specifically about Final Destination because there are five sequels after this movie. One that's currently in production being done by the guy who's done the last Marvel Spider-Man movies. So, I mean, it's uh, there's tons of sequels to this. So I it's it's making money, basically, is what it boils down to i mean so to give you an example the five final destination movies that have come out have made um which is very weird to say (laughs) has made 666 million (laughs) dollars no it didn't look it up i just looked it up (laughs) and uh that it says something that's a lot of money for these little movies uh I'll, most of them i guess final destination 2 was not but a lot of some of these were direct to video but it's uh it's made money so to put a pin in this 
the uh, the the Rotten Tomatoes score thirty six percent doesn't always tell how successful a movie is because it's very memorable and there's memorable performances and scenes in here. So, which brings us to this first opening scene of the movie um, that's kind of never really been done before. Thank goodness. Um, I do not like watching this. Um, I didn't. I, I'm not watching it. I didn't watch it <laughs> again for this episode. I do not like watching this opening scene that takes place inside an aircraft. An aircraft. Um, and hey, which one that's so hey. surprising, considering your sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> I, like I should have said never forget. On I feel like huh? we need to reflect on this. You did not rewatch this. No, I did rewatch this. I just did. I just kind of left the room after the first during the first scene and then came in. I know what happens. I don't like to watch that. It's too nerve wracking for me. I do not like it. I I don't like anything about it. Uh, I don't. I don't enjoy it. You you would probably laugh. Your again, your sense of humor. There are some people shown on the plane. And then one of the characters says, God would be a pretty evil person if he took down this plane. And I was like, this is Brian's humor. I just want you to know, that's all I could think about. Yeah. <laughs> I go, this is Brian humor. This is like peak Brian humor. <laughs> uh, surprising you all. Uh, yeah, that's that that scene still it's burned in my memory for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, how does this scene hold up for you guys? Is it scary? Because I I really try not to think I when I'm flying, you know, at least taking off, I, I'm thinking about puppy dogs and baseball and all sorts of shit. <laughs> Try not to think of uh, this particular scene that has scarred me. Oh my God. What do y'all feel the same way? Or am I like the lonely one on the Island here? I'm thinking of Top Gun when I'm on that airplane. I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. We're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I kind of I fall asleep on most planes, so I'm I don't know. I'm pretty good. I just yeah. I try not to think about it. If I have a long if I have a long flight, then I try to have a beer or two. Right. Um, no, I'm always yeah. having alcohol when you know yeah, before but, the plane. But when I get on the plane, I never think this is a final destination situation. <laughs> no, but like it, like it just comes up. Like this scene, I don't know what it is. This scene like was so visceral and raw to me, and then like. I know it plays out so silly, but I mean that's a scary damn scene, right? Yeah, I mean when when the when like all the electrical situation is happening, people are catching like it's mean to yeah. its characters during that sequence, and that's what makes it scary. In addition to being next to the door that's by the wing and then that blows open and then those people are like trying to hang on for dear life. So it, it does a really good job of making you freaked out. And it seems like it goes on longer than most films probably would today doing something like that. Although I did see a show on Apple that kind of did that exact same thing where I was like, this is probably one of the most traumatic flight sequences that i've ever seen i can't remember the name of the show but uh but yeah it it's a it's like 10 minutes of watching these people slowly die and get to know them and that sort of thing and so, it yeah. to brian <laughs> for, how, for halloween 
<laughs> for Halloween. Um, no, that that's that opening sequence is so scary to me. Uh, huh? Honestly, the the biggest shock about the opening sequence is pre nine eleven airport yeah. travel. Yeah. Well, okay, so it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I mean it's been. 22 years since that and there we i don't even remember what that was like i think it was like you go through a metal detector and that was like it like you could get anything you could go anybody from outside could go to the gate yeah. um it was a whole thing so seeing stuff like that pre 2000 september 2001 yeah. um they didn't do uh safety protocols or check if you were buckled in and your your seats were upright and all that jazz. There were ashtrays on the airplane back then. It was great. People walking through with water bottles. Like it looked it looked like a lot yeah. of food. what a luxury to have a full water bottle. You can have a water bottle. You just can't bring it from outside. You have to spend eight dollars at the airport to bring it well, in. Yeah. But they were like walking through with all their stuff. It just seems so great. Like yeah, no, it, it was it was good. Um, I was going to say the note I took were because I was uh, I really love how John Denver is just used as just like this, like siren yeah. song of death throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Even a French um, version. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my God. It's and, just. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. And I took a note that while they were. Uh, that the two the two best friends um, they say they have to go to the bathroom um, while and they go poop as to not have the girls associate their shit smells with them. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody wrote that and put it in the movie. It went through <laughs> test audiences. It was oh, great. Genius. It made me laugh. So it's genius. It it is genius. So. That opening scene aside, because <laughs> it still freaks me out and it's it's weird. Um, so the the humor and the horror in this movie. Do you think there's a fa- there, there there's a like an even line of the humor and the horror? Do you think nowadays coming back to it later that it's funnier than it was, or do you think it's scarier than it was now? I picked up on a lot of the humor bits, uh, especially even before the flight, I believe, if I remember correctly. Like they have the uh, one of the teachers who speaks f- French very well. And then uh, the uh, jock guy, uh, Carter, is like overhearing like some directions because they're all on a trip to go to Paris. So you assume like some of them know a little bit of French. And he's like, what the fuck did he say? And I found that hilarious. <laughs> it's no the horror parts work because people end up dead. But this movie is hilarious. Like death, death could have if you follow the logic of the movie, the plane blowing up, there they die, they should have been dead. But death needs to figure out a way to kill them. He doesn't give them pain, pancreatic cancer or have them slip on something. He's like, I'm going to come up with the most ridiculous Rube Goldberg way for every one of these teenagers to die. And it is always comedic. There is never a moment for the setups. So when the actual death is occurring, like the guy strangling in the tub, that's horrific watching his eyes burst, all that. Everything yeah. setting up to it is funny. Like him, oh, I'm going to step over the puddle. Like it's, 
it's very much like hi i'm death and welcome to jackass is like the whole vibe <laughs> until they start killing people and i i loved that balance of it i loved it i thought it was so funny one of my favorite sequences is when Devin Sawa's in like that that room and he's wearing the gloves to eat his canned food and he's chewing it so slowly. It's all like, fuck you, you're mm-hmm. not going to get me. And then to run over there uh, to shut that door as like the fishing line uh, opens the door and a knife goes through it. And then you're like, yeah, you didn't get me this time, you asshole kind of thing. But then he like, ah, tetanus. You're smart son of a bitch, but not smart enough kind of thing. It was really great. Like the train, the train just rattling over the thing and they show whatever broken sign rattling under those things for so long. And Sean William Scott is just standing there in a green screen giving a ridiculous monologue and you're just giggling, giggling, giggling. And then his head gets chopped in half and you're like, oh, awful. That's so gross. But I love that it's in half too. Yes. Yeah. Everything to that moment is, is I'm sitting there like, Oh man, is Johnny Knoxville gonna get hit by this bull? What's gonna happen? This is so fun. It's I love it. I thought it was I think it's a perfect balance of horror and humor. And it's it's the anticipation because you know it's coming. They're just like, here, here you go. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. And then when you leave, when you think it's gonna happen, and then it just happens, it's just oh man, it, it, it's like the watching it again that was like brilliant filmmaking and editing i think on their part yeah and that's what i don't want to step i mean i guess it's the next topic but when you bring up saw there's almost nothing funny about the saw traps they're always horrific and you're like i mean it's funny if you think about why he's doing it and all that like we can talk about that at a different date but you see them it's like your head's gonna be ripped off by a bear trap in the next 30 seconds if you don't reach into the inside of your asshole where i've stitched a key that's connected (laughs) to like and you're just like oh this is awful this is awful but there's nothing this part has the saw gore but a humor and almost a uh a levity leading up to it if you can call it that that i appreciate and I love how in some of those saw traps, it's like you see what Jigsaw like saw them do it. It's like, you stole $20 from your mother's purse. And you're like, this does not. It, is, it doesn't work. The crime. It doesn't work. <laughs> that's, that's the, yeah, those are the, when you think about why they were in there, but those, the anticipation, I think this movie and the Saw movies have such anticipation for that final, that final gut punch of a death you're just waiting and saw takes it so seriously and over the top and like uncomfortable horrific whereas this movie was like ah, 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 and they're dead which is fun well yeah did anyone um did anyone notice the when they get into the after the the initial like airplane scene and they're talking to the fbi guys what the fbi guy's name is yeah they're well all of their names throughout the cast really the one the one guy is agent agent shrek (laughs) i did hear that (laughs) and i feel like would it have been a year like uh (laughs) That's really good. He, he would have had a completely different name had this movie been released a year later. But they're like, put Adrian Shrek on the phone, and I'm just like, <laughs> you're waiting for you're waiting for the voice, Mike Myers voice to come in. I, I was, and I was like, oh well, that's a that's a that's unfortunate. 
So Agent Shrek, that was pretty good. So like Saw, Saw, there's been like 10 Saw movies, maybe more. There's five Final Destination movies. Is the first Final Destination and the first Saw movie the best ones? No. Personally, to me, I think Final Destination 2 is a better film. Um, I'm going to go with two and I love two and three. I think two is the best for being the probably the most iconic, you know, death scene and all of that scared a generation of people with yep. the, the log. I mean, I, I, I was in college at that time and driving from Kansas to Texas, like definitely a real thing. Or the dentist office when you're getting gassed or anything. <laughs> I actually watched Final Destination 2 uh, right before this one. The only thing that I would say is different about the two, I think that the characters are much meaner to each other in the yeah. same Like anybody yeah. who's gone through a traumatic s- a situation like that, it seems like they'd be more caring towards one another, but they're all like, fuck you and uh like calling each other sluts and bitches and i was like jesus christ guys like relax that's uh, there's a little bit of that with the characters here like they're they're still a bit mean to each other but not quite like that second one but the death scenes i agree are much better yeah dan uh i'm gonna be that guy and say i think the first movie like start to finish is like a better story or whatnot much like i think the first saw movie is like a interesting story start to finish in all of the sequels i don't remember one character or one plot i can just tell you there's more iconic kills in the sequels to final destination and the sequels to saw but i don't remember any of the story in any of the sequels but i remember the story in the first two so i guess luke I guess from gilmore girls and donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. No, I something about Final Destination. I, I that, that second one. It's funny. A little story about Final Destination Two. When that movie was released, the opening day, Friday, whenever Final Destination Two came out, um, for some reason, I think I skipped my one class I had in college that day, and I went to the movie theater all day in Kansas City, and I saw the recruit. I saw Biker Boys, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, Oh, what was the fourth one? Oh, uh, The Tooth Fairy and Final Destination 2 to end it on. Like I saw five movies in one day at the theater and I ended on Final Destination 2. And the audience for that opening day Friday was unbelievably great. Everybody was into it. I've never topped four movies in a day that I've paid for. I'm I'm proud of you. That's a good run. There was a lot. That was it was that's well, that was the order. It was so funny. <laughs> uh that I remember it was in Olathe in Kansas City, but yeah, the Final Destination 2. And I think still think that is the the best one. Um, so we gotta talk about Tony Todd. Candyman scared all of us. Interestingly enough, it didn't come up in any of our scariest moments because Candyman one is pretty damn scary. Um, and especially Tony Todd, that dude uh, is a super nice guy. I've met him, but just his his stature, his voice, his voice like it's crazy. And so for him to play, you know, 
death in this movie and not not like death in bill and ted's bogus journey you know that's a <laughs> this is a very scary one uh the grim reaper do you well, chelsea what do you think of tony todd as this character was he born to play this character i think tony todd was born to play like every kind of scary or baller a scary baller person mm-hmm. yeah just um but I I I appreciate uh, that he had like two minutes of screen time, three minutes of screen time. But I also uh, wanted more of him. But I appreciate that he even showed up at all. So, oh. It's a good movie. What about Preston? What do you think? No, I agree. I think uh, the amount of screen time that he has, he makes the most of it. And I feel like he just elevates lines of dialogue really well with this sinister sounding voice. Like there's one line about like, uh, there's a, a mouse that a cat has by the tail or something like that. But the way that he delivers it, you're just like, he could just read something like a kid's children book and make it sound scary. I feel like he could pull that off. But the way that he's like, having fun in the moment like he doesn't seem too bothered or phased that these kids broke into the place and he's just like i mean i I understand why you're here like he's just very chill and casual about it and that sort of uh chillness to him um makes it a little more scary especially when he's like kind of poking fun at them with uh like the way that the body moves um with uh and then one part like there's like blood that squirts or something like that and it's 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 so he makes he makes it funny and scary at the same time he does he does uh dan do you agree yeah it's a great cameo he's in there we all enjoy him anyone who has ever or has any history of horror movies is excited to see him and then anyone who has no idea who he is he's so menacing and like perfect on screen you're at that you, you're immediately scared of him or apprehensive or there's something about him that creeps you out. So it's just perfect stunt casting for this kind of a movie. Yeah, he's he's so good in it. Uh, he's, he's just memorable. Like, I think everybody will really remember him from uh, Candyman. But this is like a close second. Even uh, when you said that he, it's like only a couple minutes of screen time. It is so great. Um, oh, he's so good. And like, let's talk about Stifler. I mean, <laughs> American. I know, like he's. I like Sean William Scott because he's played nerdy people in the past. He's played jocks. He's played, you know, the American Pie standard action hero. Uh, what do you think about him in this movie? Because this was, of course, after American Pie. This is a year after American Pie. What do you think? I, I like how many times he calls Carter a dick. Which yeah. is exactly three. Because I can't. Uh, He's gonna ride his bike around and wear polo shirts. And this is when actors not only got pigeonholed, but found their one pitch and they threw it until their arm gave out. Because he Mm -hmm. is just being stiffler. Um, (laughs) Reeled in a little bit. Like the yeah, it's reeled in a little bit. There's less sexual stuff or really bad language, but it's just the. The yelling, the cadence, the faces is just pure stifler the entire time. That's I love cool. how, uh, like he, to me, so he's 20, he was 24 or 23 when he made this movie, but he looks the oldest out of all of them to me. 
and they they make him look younger by doing what uh, Brian's doing right now, wearing a backwards cap. Uh, so uh, it helps. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> what up, fellow kids? Well, hello. <laughs> I need the little this twirly thing on my hat. You know, no, you need the skateboard like the Steve Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> I need everybody to see the face. Um. So that that's good. So who's the underrated cast member here? Is 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 it Sean William Scott? Is it is it Ali Larder? Is it Devin Sawa? Is it Tony Todd? Who is it? Ali Larder. Yeah. yeah. She brings it in this movie. Uh, Why? Because, like what you said from, uh, not Friday Night Lights. <laughs> oh, um, the shit. Varsity uh, Blues. Yeah, Varsity Blues, yeah. A tan. I know, I almost called it Blue Streak. I was like, no, that's Martin Lawrence. Um, <laughs> everyone expects her to be like the the sexy cheerleader, um, you know, character and in this one she has a different she has a different role she has a different speed like she's more subdued she's creeped out she seems like something's always going on and i didn't expect that from ali larder like watching it today when i saw ali larder was on it in the movie i thought ali larder was going to play the blonde girl who was uh kerr smith from dawson's creek girlfriend that's the role that i expected her to be in the bubbly kind of dumb blonde cheerleader stereotype and she wasn't she was something different so i think her being in that role and the fact that she's the only one that got to really continue in the franchise and has a pretty big impact in the second one is awesome i think so i think she's the most underrated by far she's laney boggs in this one she is she is no i like that nobody's gonna say agent shrek no we know why they named him agent shrek in the movie no What's the character? Well, I know all the characters. Yeah, it's it's the guy over. who played Max Shrek, the guy who played um, Nosferatu. That's right. Yeah. So they're all named from. I mean, like like Lon Chaney, Hitchcock, and, yeah, Billy Hitchcock, and yeah. things like that. So, so I thought right. that was a uh, pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> How was this not nominated for original screenplay? I don't know. Uh, it's so crazy. It, it it should be. I mean, this movie was written by three people, including James Wong. Um, one of the guys uh, had worked with James Wong before, um, like on One and Black Christmas and X-Files. So I think, again, this was made originally for, like Chelsea said, a monster of the week for X-Files. And... Um, that's kind of where it went. And then the other writer, Jeffrey Reddick, has kind of only done Final Destination movies. He did Tamara and Day of the Dead from 2008 and The Call from 2020. Um, but not a lot since then. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, it's interesting to see who wrote this movie. Um, oh, he's the one. Jeffrey Reddick is the guy who wrote it originally. He was told that he would get uh, the way to get in uh, into Hollywood or just writing in general for the screen was to write a, a spec script for a popular TV show. And so that was his way in. But then when he started discussing it with some other creative friends, they said, this would make a really good movie. You should try doing that. And so uh, 
I watched like this really lengthy behind the scenes thing. And they're discussing like the whole story about like all the changes that happened even after they screened it for test audiences. But um, it was from what I remember, it, it did focus on uh, it was more uh, adults, not so much teenagers. It wasn't until the studio got involved and after the success of a lot of the movies in the 90s that they pivoted towards doing teenagers. And then um, they felt like some things were still missing. Um, and so they brought those two guys on and they pretty much were the uh they they came in and did all these uh little things and they almost brought in like a physical embodiment of death uh per the studio's request and then they fought against it so there were some things that stuck to jeffrey's original vision because uh, i believe it was originally called flight 108 or 180 and then uh and then uh it wasn't until like they tested it and things like that they there one uh, Ali Larder's character was pregnant at one point like there's some deleted scenes where she was pregnant from uh Devon Sawa and they had a baby and it had a more happy ending where Devon yeah. Sawa's well Devon Sawa ended up dying but the the Carter guy ended up living um and so they went back and reshot it so there's a lot of really uh, uh interesting stories about it come into play, uh, come into fruition or what it ultimately is. But I think what sticks out most to me upon rewatching it and, and then kind of get more analytical about it after watching that uh, behind the scenes thing is how layered it is. And I think that goes back to what Dan was saying. Like, I think it's probably the better movie still like narratively and even like some of directing choices. Cause you can like, there's a sequence right after the plane explosion where there are posters in the background and it's like a bus explosion and things like that. So it's kind of doing this mission impossible type of thing where it's like teasing you everything of what's to come. So if you like pay attention to all these little things, you'll, you'll find uh, like writing on the wall in the background there's even a number 666 in places so like how layered it is i find it to be pretty interesting and a more enjoyable watch upon uh or more enjoyable rewatch. i would say yeah in the beginning everyone's reading different books one of them is like death of a salesman yeah like, you see all this different stuff and it's just it's it's on the nose, but it's fun though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Evil Dead 2, farewell to arms when he lops his hand off. Like that's pretty yeah. great. Uh it's pretty good. Um, so the the, the best death scene, because these are all very creative. Uh what is what's your favorite one? Mm, Mine's the favorite. knife with the, the the kitchen sink knife. Cause goddamn, that's funny. That's it's funny. so it's good. The chair falling on it that makes it great. Yeah. Yeah. That one's so funny. That's such a comedic, comedic situation. I, I mean, I love the Sean William Scott one just because it's so, it's it's one of the less complicated um, setups. You're just sitting there you're like, that thing's about to fly out. Someone's about to shoot out from that train because they show it like, they cut to it like three times just rattling under the train tracks and then finally it flies out. And it's just in the middle of his talk and how horrific it is that that part makes me laugh. Um, I really enjoy that death scene. 
would have been better if if it's like shown it to you and then it just goes and it and then it flies by him doesn't decapitate him though mm -hmm. and he's like oh my god that almost killed me and then but it chops down a tree and the tree falls on him or like that. <laughs> yeah just go go a little further with it that's good yeah, I just like like impales herself with a kitchen knife. It's just so great. Uh, Chelsea, also more intense too, because yeah. because her of her, you know, reasonably thinking that oh, Devin Sawa's character is behind all this, and he's like, so they do a really good job of like being like, oh, maybe I should question this a little bit, and then you know you, you'll find out. But uh, yeah, putting the hands on the knife, you're like, dude, he's fucked. <laughs> it's good chelsea what about you um i like the one where uh they're just all talking about it and the 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 guy's girl carter's girlfriend is just like i don't i'm not gonna let this define my life you guys can just go fucking drop dead so that's my favorite and she just gets hit by a bus yeah <laughs> it's just quick and everyone like has blood on their face and they're like what the fuck just happened yeah. Wow. A seven. He gets a splatter of a seven, which is the seventh victim or something like that. So oh, okay, see, I don't even know. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so was there any really funny dialogue or anything like that that you remember? I don't even know if this movie, like, besides like had like a funny piece of dialogue in it. Tony Todd talking about the Grim Reaper. He's like, and you don't want to fuck with that Mac Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I, I enjoyed that immensely. I think, I think Preston kind of brought it up. The it's none of it's memorable, but everyone is such an asshole to each other. The entire movie, like the way everyone talks to everyone at all times in this movie, is is very funny and kind of childish. Right. I I also don't understand why everyone's so mad at him. Like, Allie Larder is the only one that's like, thank you, you saved my life. And I feel like I would be the same way. Like, everyone's like, no, you're a fucking freak. You freak me out. You're you're weird. You're And I'm just like, that would be my new best friend. Like, yeah, I, I'd be like, what are the lottery numbers? Right. Um, I'd kind of do the Sean William Scott. Like, if I ask out this person, will she say yes? He's like, just just go. Just go. Also, I'm grateful. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So talking about that, we got to talk about because it's the year 2000 and the soundtrack for this. So we already talked about it. There's John Denver. Um. That's played in various ways, even in French. There's Nine Inch Nails, uh, Joe Ninety, Jane Saberi. Um. But then you have the score by Shirley Walker. Uh, Shirley Walker is actually a pretty sweet composer who passed away in 2006, but she did the music for the Black Stallion, for Ghoulies, Nightbreed, Pacific Heights, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, and True Lies, and Escape from L.A. And Mystery Men. So, and then before, this is all before she did Final Destination. Um... I just think that's super cool. I I like the score in here. I think it's a memorable score. And I love that uh, the soundtrack, John Denver and Nine Inch Nails, I just never would have thought. What, 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 do, do you all love this soundtrack and score? I remember those two songs, but I'm going to be honest. I don't remember the score at all. I can't. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't remember the score. I just remember Carter playing that Nine Inch Nails song, pulling up to like yell at people. Yeah, I, I could, <laughs> I could not place the score if my life depended on it. I don't even remember hearing it when I watched the movie the other day. Um, but I do the Rocky Mountain High. Yes, I associate that song with this movie, which is really sad for John Denver. But you know, what are you gonna do, buddy? It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, is there? A John Wick reference in this movie, Dan. Absolutely. There's no reference at all. But I thought about the fact, what if one the one of the guys who's these in these gangs or whatnot just like woke up one morning and saw a vision of himself, like the guy who's doing around the Eiffel Tower who gets like his shoulder dislocated, shot in both knees, thrown in front of a bus. And as he's flipping up in the air, like John Wick shoots him three times and then he gets run over again. If he pictured that and then like just didn't go to work and he was just like, fuck that. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of myself, how would death top that ridiculous death of like this? It's just that guy that's sitting around and job in with all of his buddies, with all of their rifles. And they're like, we got to go get John Wick. And he's like, guys, I'm passing on this one. I saw every single one of you get shot in the head. That would be a very funny, like, side side episode i mean he's john wick is the baba yaga i guess tony todd is the baba yaga here he's the boogeyman <laughs> that's true that's true um so let's talk a little bit about devin sawa devin sawa was like everywhere for like three years and then for many years basically until hunter hunter uh which Preston and i love not to mention uh, Black Friday, Devin Sawa and Bruce Campbell, and then this Chucky series. Devin Sawa was a leading man. What happened? Like, where did he go? Like, he did a ton of direct-to-video movies, but what was it about Devin Sawa? Like, don't didn't you want to see him be, like, the next? Like, I feel like he could have taken Sean William Scott's role and, like, become an action hero of some sort. Chelsea, do you have any any knowledge or any, like behind the scenes of what happened to Devin Sawa for 20 years? No, I don't have, I mean, I didn't, I don't have anything like that. When my, when my brain thinks of Devin Sawa, I just immediately think, think of, can I keep you from Casper? So. <laughs> Dan from the Eminem video. Yeah, Stan. Oh, yeah, Stan. There, there was that. And then, and then there's this, these movies and then movies that we've never seen. And then of course, you know, He's so good in the Chucky series. He's so good. Um, because he... Yeah, I would love to see him more. Yeah, I, I like the guy. And especially his role in Hunter Hunter. If any, if nobody has seen Hunter Hunter, oh my goodness. Nick Stahl and Devin Sawa. It's so good. And the last five minutes of that movie are just blow you away. So yeah. good. It's such a good movie. You know what I found funny? watching this um, back and when he goes into his room the first time I'd be like oh Brian's gonna love that there's a pecker poster in the background that he has <laughs> and and I, I may be mistaken but I want to say there was a Goo Goo Dolls poster in the background right I'll go back and rewatch it but I, I'm pretty certain that there was so I was thinking of his uh, stupid line that he has or actually the greatest line in that uh, John Travolta movie that he did the fanatic yeah the limp biscuit in the in the car he's talking to his son he's like want to listen to a little biscuit 
And yeah. I mean, which is funny because that movie fanatic John Travolta plays like the crazy obsessed fan to Devin Sawa, who's an actor and he's super autistic, but it was directed by Fred Durst. It's just funny that he would put that in the movie. Like, well, this is a biscuit and Pecker. I mean, Pecker, obviously the most mainstream John Waters movie ever made. <laughs> Tell that that was two different production designers that were trying to get their personality in there. So I was like, Pecker fitting for Devin Sawa's character. I don't know about Goo Goo Dolls. Oh. When I think of Devin Sawa, I think of Ethan Embry, and I just want them to do more things. Yeah. They, they, even um, uh, Nick Stahl, too, like, because. Yeah. They're, they're great in Hunter Hunter, but they need like an Avengers type of thing where you get like these actors that have kind of were the thing back in the day and they kind of do these more grisly movies now. Yeah. yeah. I'm loving that. Because Ethan Embry was in The Guest and he's like a bald headed, hardcore weapons dealer type of thing. Yes. And... But so then good. he's like Grace and Frankie. <laughs> yeah he's so lovable and and sweet so no that is good um so is it do you think final destination was trying to say anything politically or socially for the time mm. no yeah enjoy air travel now <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my goodness Covers its tracks. I will say that that's one issue that I took with that first death of Todd is how when it does a little water sequence and then, but then right after it makes it look like it kills him, he kills himself, the water goes back. Yeah, it goes. So any time that it seems like death covers its tracks. That yes. was, that was the only, it feels like, cause I was thinking watch, watching this one, and we're all talking about the kind of like Rube Goldberg chain reaction scenes. I feel like those are much more prominent in the two and on. And in this first one, it's almost like not a physical manifestation of death, but almost like death could reach out and like touch you. And it's not that 10 different things had to go wrong and happen, especially when you're talking about the bathroom scene where the it comes creeping in and then it goes right back. Yeah. yeah. So here's a question. Um, if you were in charge of making the next Final Destination movie and you had to implement a caveat or a gimmick for it, such as like Final Destination in the hood or in space, what would your caveat be to make it uh, very original? I think I would pull, ever since the movie Prey, which I think is probably one of the most influential movies to me like what everybody talked about you know post dark night this is what movies were doing i feel like prey should have more of an influence on film so i would like to see more of a period piece so like the 1800s or, or like or like um the northman but with um <laughs> uh final destination because the culture would make it super interesting and like all the little things that they do, but also maybe even something like a, a war film, like World War II or something like they all survived this uh, attack where like it seemed like it would be impossible for them to beat the odds, but somehow they did. And then it like comes and gets them and it could be like this whole thing on PTSD. There's so many things that you could do. 
See, I like that. And I like period piece, even like thinking Northman, because there's not electricity back then. So it'd have to be even more creative to think about with fire and wind. <laughs> how to do it. No, I like the World War II thing is genius. Um, I guess I'll go. I, I would like to see a found footage one. Uh, just people in like modern day with found footage, they're filming themselves doing something. And it would be like, I guess that much more realistic or raw uh and have kind of like that um uh kind of like that uh a 10 31 98 sequence from the first vhs movie uh how well that was perceived and something like that i would like to see something like that for a final destination movie because that was done so well radio silent style however you would have to explain this has always been an issue with me sometimes with found footage films is that i don't know why some people would carry on filming after certain things i almost thought that with our friend mike nelson but then it totally explains why that happens because at a certain point you're like why are you still filming this but then it makes sense yeah. um you would need something like that people are gonna want to see this preston <laughs> we're gonna have to document it um that's good uh chelsea dan any 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 caveats implementations i'm not gonna top the world war ii one that that sounds awesome I, I wasn't even thinking of a period piece. I was coming up with like a place with a bunch of random things. Like, so immediately my brain goes to like me taking my kids to like a trampoline place and all of the horrors that could happen there. Um, not the kids preferably, but like, you know, the staff after hours and stuff. That's like, a genius it, thing though. Make a final destination with like kids 12 and under. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> to the teens who work there somehow and brian's like let's kill some children <laughs> i mean it would make it that much i mean because like take a look at dr sleep jacob jacob trembley's scene on how awful and crazy that scene is but Perfect. like do it times 10 <laughs> watch the flanagan cut for it to get even worse yeah oh my god dan good idea um i'm thinking and i'm just going straight up the meanest i can kind of and i'm thinking i don't know how you would do this but it would be interesting to me if someone a final destination for a group of people that survived like a mass shooting or or a terrorist attack. Oh God. Oh shit. I just went really dark. I thought Um, you were a baby delivery room or something. I was like, no, no. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They survive a school shooting or mass shooting. And then just, that's crazy. I mean, that's very topical. Yeah. I I feel I'm going to try to up that right now. What if there was like a situation um where uh there <laughs> was bracing for it. you're bracing for it like there there's a a dog rescue a pet rescue and then the sets fire several of the pets escape and then it's about the pets so you want it to be strays strays <laughs> but strays. yeah you want it to be strays but like so, uh, shocked and grief and yeah. No, I don't want that. 
it's like the quiet sequel to that scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, there we go. I like it. Uh, Final Destination, people. It is out. It is streaming. Where is it streaming? Max. Yeah, Max. Max, Max. Max, that's right. I Max. All, I think all of them except for one are, are, is on Max. Yeah. So Final Destination, uh, that's good. We are Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. Please uh, give our social media team the props and Chelsea the props online because she created our new logo. It's amazing. Uh, they're doing a great job. Uh, Chelsea, where can everybody find you on them internets? Um, you can find me um, on X, Miss underscore Tenenbaum. Everything else is Chelsea Nico. Cool. Uh, Dan, where can they find you? Fear and Loathing in Cinema on Instagram. What's your Twitter X handle? Big balls, six to nine. <laughs> <laughs> the long dick of the law, six to nine. Uh, that's good. Uh, Preston, Preston, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me on Instagram under Blu ray dad and Preston Barda everywhere else. And I'm on Ditton Record Chronicle, DittonRC.com, and FreshFiction.tv. And by the way, I'm surprised none of us brought up the Penthouse magazine in this. Oh, oh. yes. <laughs> he just throws it at the owl. <laughs> or just he's just like okay i'm done thinking about this stuff let me get my my penthouse out and then yeah throwing it and then the magazine helped him in some way so good penthouse there you go um i'm brian kluger you can find me at high def digest and boomstick comics you can find us elsewhere on the other podcast too um and on wednesdays from noon till 2 p.m central time soundtracks radio electromagnetic radio and I'm Brian Kluger everywhere else. We love you and we'll see you next week, which will be Halloween. And it is going to be yours truly's pick for the movie for Halloween day uh, for our movie. So I'm very excited because I know what it's going to be. We'll see you all next time. Fear and loathing in cinema podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye.